don't know if you noticed how that video started out. Milk and Oreos. I had nothing to do with it, but I'm all for it. So it really is. Uh, we who are in Christ, we go together. Uh, we really are called to be together. And so we will continue our, our series uh, on unity uh, this morning. We will continue in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we'll be looking at Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. I won't reread all of that at this time, but I want to reread the first five verses. That sort of covers my first point, and then as we work our way through, we'll reread the other verses as well. But last week, we saw Jesus' ministry of unity. We saw that Jesus' purpose, the reason he came, was to save those that were lost, both Jew and Gentile. And then he was bringing them together in one, where there had been great division, where there had been great animosity. Now, there was no longer the animosity. There was no longer to be the wall of division. But rather, both Jew and Gentile were to come together in one body under the lordship of Christ. And so we saw the ministry of uh, Jesus' ministry of unity. And then this morning, I want us to look at Paul's ministry of unity. Here's the big question. What does Paul's ministry show us about unity? What does Paul's ministry show us about unity? Let's look at verses 1 through 5 again. Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we come to your word, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, that we would not hear only with our physical ears, Lord, that we would have spiritual ears to understand your word and to make application to our lives. Lord, would you speak through your word and through your Holy Spirit to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this passage, I want us to see what Paul is saying, but the first thing I want to draw our attention to is Paul starts off by saying, for this reason, and the question is, for what reason? And there's a lot, but I think if we hone in most clearly, I want to go back to verses 21 and 22 of chapter 2. He says, in him, talking about in Jesus, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. If you were here last Sunday morning, you'll remember that we talked about in this section where Jesus is using both Jewish and Gentile blocks or bricks to build his temple. And we are, most of us, I would assume, are the Gentile blocks. Uh, there may be a few Jewish blocks among us, I don't know. Uh, somebody said when I was talking about us being blocks, some thought we were blockheads instead of just blocks. But the scripture refers to us as spiritual blocks being built together. And remember, we're blocks being built together around uh, the cornerstone of Jesus into this spiritual temple being the house of God. And Paul is saying, because of that, in light of this, for this reason, because of Jesus' ministry calling Jew and Gentile together, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, 
on behalf of you Gentiles. The first thing I want us to see is the background of Paul's ministry, the, pack, the background of Paul's ministry here in verses 1 through 5. First of all, Paul was a, was a Jewish believer, and so he has a Jewish background. You can actually, in several places in Scripture, read sort of Paul's testimony. I would encourage you to go to Acts chapter, I believe it's 21 and 22. Uh, he is giving defense of himself there in Jerusalem, and he talks about how he came to know Christ, but he also talks about his history growing up as a Jew who was trained at the feet of a Jewish teacher and, uh, and, and all that went into his life. Later on there in Acts, we also know that he was, earlier actually from from chapter 21 and 22, earlier on in Acts, we know of uh, his early persecution of the church. Uh, He was such a zealous Jew that he absolutely rejected Jesus, he rejected the gospel, and he was chasing those who did accept the gospel out of Jerusalem. He was uh, trying to run them down, arrest some of them, bring them back to face trial and imprisonment. In fact, we're told that he was present at the stoning of Stephen. And so Paul, when he was Saul, before he had the life change, he was an absolutely zealous Jew who hated Christianity, who rejected Jesus and rejected the gospel. And so he was chasing down Jews who were believing in the gospel. And as a good believing Jew, he certainly would not have been one to interact with the Gentiles. He would have stayed away from them. And yet now here he is writing to a church that is mostly Gentile, and he is talking about how he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Now talk about a change of life. He, is, uh, he went from uh, the Jew, uh, a Jew of the Jews to a servant of the Gentiles. Notice the change in his life. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, he is now serving a church. He is planting churches among the Gentiles. He is writing from prison to Gentile believers and is talking to them about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and about how they are part of the same body with Jewish believers. And so we see that there has been a change in his life. We see that he, his testimony is also there elsewhere throughout the book of Acts. I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with it, to read the book of Acts and to see how Paul was called there uh, by Jesus, met by Jesus, convinced of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, the church, rightly so, was a little leery of Saul, who became Paul. Uh, you start stoning my friends. You start killing people I know. And, and then the next week you come to me and say, well, I believe the gospel now. I'm going to be a little leery of that. I'm going to say, well, we're going to wait a while to vote on your church membership. Uh, We're just going to take it slowly. Well, the church did that. Ultimately, Barnabas spoke up for Paul, and we see this change of life and direction for Paul. Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. He helps not only go out from Jerusalem, but he goes out and helps the gospel spread to the Gentiles. He becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. But not only that, we see that he is part of sharing the mystery of Christ. Uh, Notice, if you will, he says in verses 3 and 4, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, talking about where Jesus showed up and, and basically preached the gospel to him. And he says, as I have briefly written above, 
By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mysteries of Christ. Well, what is this mystery? I'm one who loves mysteries. I like to read. Uh, A lot of the books I will read, uh, if it's not for work or for church, will be mysteries. Uh, I often say when I watch TV, uh, somebody has to die early in the show that I'm watching. I like like the dramas, the crime dramas. I like NCIS. I like NCIS Los Angeles. I like the shows like that. And unfortunately, those typically start off with a dead body pretty early on in the show, and we spend the rest of the show trying to figure out who did it. And So that's what I like to watch. But that's not what we're talking about here. Paul is talking about sort of the mystery of all of time. He is talking about the way that God was working. And he says, the mystery was made known to me. Now, there's several aspects of this mystery. It is simply the aspect of the fact uh, that Jesus was not going to be a political leader, but that he was going to be the sinless son of God. In the Old Testament, we see over and over again, the Jewish people are looking for for the promised one. They are anticipating the coming of the promised one. And and the expectation was sort of that a political leader, a military leader would come and establish his kingdom and, and sort of establish that earthly kingdom and be a great king and leader. And yet it was revealed to Paul and it was revealed to the other apostles and disciples that that's not what God was doing. God was not sending some earthly political leader, but rather God was sending his perfect son to provide salvation for all who would believe. And that's the second part of the mystery, all who would believe. If you look in the Old Testament, uh, God had primarily worked through his people, the Jews. Not exclusively, not completely, but primarily through his people, the Jews. And part of the mystery, the second part of the mystery is, no longer would Jew and Gentile be divided, but through God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile would be brought together in one group, one body of believers. And so Paul is writing about this mystery, and he says, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above, By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. We read on in verse 5, This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. What he was saying is, he was writing to those at Ephesus and saying, Our generation has a great benefit because the mystery of God's working through his promised one has been revealed to us. It's not just someone who would come, it's someone who has come. And we know him to be Jesus, the Lord, the Son of God, the sinless Savior of the world. And he was saying to them, we have great advantage that we know what past generations did not know. Might I just say our generation has even a greater advantage We have the completed word of God testifying to who Jesus was, testifying to what God was doing. We look back on the word of God and the events of the New Testament. It brings understanding to the Old Testament. It clearly reveals the mysterious ways of God that he was working through Jesus and that we all, all of us, need to hope in Jesus Christ. And so we see the background of Paul's ministry. He went from one who would certainly not have been welcoming Gentiles anywhere, but primarily he would not have been welcoming them, easy for me to say, into right relationships with Jews. He wouldn't even accept the Jewish believers. He was trying to stone and chase down Jewish believers. And yet now after he met Jesus, he's saying, no, 
Jesus is doing a greater work. He is bringing Jew and Gentile into right relationship. So that is the background of Paul's ministry. But secondly, I want us to see the message of Paul's ministry in verses 6 and 7. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Well, well, here is the message of Paul's ministry. Jew and Gentile are no longer separated. In the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are not enemies, but they are co-heirs. To be co-heirs, you have to be family. And he says, Jew and Gentile in Christ Jesus are no longer enemies, but are actually brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when we make application to us, that's our story. Uh, We're not enemies. We're not strangers. We are co-heirs. We are part of the family of God. We are in this together. You are my brother or my sister. I am your brother in Christ. And so Paul's message is Jew and Gentile are co-heirs. But not only co-heirs, members of the same body. Look at verse 6. Gentiles are co-heirs. Members of the same body. Now, being a part of the same body is important. Uh, The fact that we are not all the same is important, isn't it? Aren't you glad that not everybody looks the same, not everybody has the same gifts, not everybody has the same abilities? What if we all had the gift of administration? Uh, Everybody, everybody in this room, everybody in this church, what if we had 325 people with the gift of administration? That would be a miserable church family, wouldn't it? First of all, some of you are like, I'm grateful I don't have the, church, the gift of administration. But if we all did, can you imagine how awful that would be? We'd all be wanting to administrate. We'd all be wanting to make decisions. We'd all be wanting to lead and, and work through the process. And, and it, what's the old saying? Too many, too many leaders and no followers. That's what we would be. But God didn't put everybody in this uh, group of believers to be the same. He's gifted us all different, and there are some administrators, but then there are some encouragers. There are some who have uh, the gifts of hospitality. There are some who have the giftings and abilities of leading music. We are a varied group. We are like the body, different parts, but parts of the same body and, and parts that are working together. Isn't that important, that the parts are working together? I, I was sharing this with my Sunday school class this morning. Um, I believe it was last year, I went to a new doctor's visit. I had a, a, was getting a new doctor and, and went to the first visit. And I told her, I said, uh, listen, um, I, I, I'm having problems when I'm in a restaurant. When there is background noise, I can barely hear the person I'm talking to. I have to look at their lips. I have to actually turn my ear. To, and she said, welcome to your 40s. She said, when you're in a scene and there's lots of background noise, you won't be able to hear as well. And she said, and then when you get to your 50s, it won't matter whether there's background noise or not, you won't be able to hear anything. And so in your 50s, we'll get you hearing aids, and hopefully you'll be able to hear everything again. And I said, well, Doc, that is not the most encouraging news I've ever had. Thank you so much. And uh, she had a great sense of humor, but she told me like it was. My ears are starting to betray me. They are not working as they should. Uh, my eyes are not what they used to be. Those of you sitting on the back row, uh, you look really great. You look very blurry, but you look really great. I'm glad you're here. Uh, My body parts are not working the way that they're supposed to work, and it's not very helpful. 
in the body of Christ, God has gifted us uniquely and called us to come in together and to work in harmony for the good of the gospel. We are fellow members of the same body. But not only are we co-heirs and members of the same body, we are partners in the promise of Christ there in verse 6. The Gentiles are co-heirs. They're equal. They're a part of the same family. They are members of the same body. And then thirdly, partners in the promise in Christ Jesus. They are partners together. Do we think of ourselves that way? Look around. I hope that we'll do this occasionally. I hope maybe we'll do it every service during this series. Look around. Look around at the people here. You all are partners. We are in this together. If God has called you here to be a part of Scott Lake Baptist Church, then we are partners together. We work together. We ought to partner for the gospel. We ought to get along for the gospel. We ought to serve each other. We ought to love one another. We ought to be kind to one another. We are partners in the promise in Christ Jesus. I want you to, to pay close attention to the last three words of that verse. In my, in my version, it says, through the gospel. How is it that Gentiles are co-heirs with Jews? How is it that Jew and Gentiles are members of the same body? How is it that Jew and Gentiles are partners in the promise in Christ Jesus? How is it that we uh, together are in this together? How is it that you and I are partners? How is it that you and I are brothers and sisters? How is it that you and I are parts of the same body? It is through the gospel. It is through the gospel. It is because you have placed your faith in Jesus and I have placed my faith in Jesus. That is what unites us. Let me ask you a question. What is bigger or more important than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, the quick answer off the top of our head is nothing. We just go, well, there's nothing more important. But it's not just the quick answer. If we sit and really contemplate what is the biggest, most important thing, it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the most important thing in our life. It has made all the difference for we who are Christians. It is what we stake our life on. And so it is the most important thing. It is the biggest thing. So if that is what unites us, and it is the biggest, most important thing, and what that means is all the things that can divide us are smaller and less important than the gospel. I don't want to run past that. Because sometimes what we do is we major on the minors. We focus on the things that can divide us. We focus on the things that we disagree on. We focus on the things about one another that we don't like or where we don't see eye to eye. But if we get the gospel right, if we understand who we are as a church family, the gospel is the biggest, most important thing in all of our lives, and that is what unites us. It is what makes us brothers and sisters. It is what makes us co-heirs. It is what makes us body parts of the same body. It is what makes us partners in the promise in Christ Jesus. We need to focus on the major. We need to major on the majors. We need to remember that it is the gospel that unites us. I'm not saying that the things that can divide us are not important, and I'm not saying that some of them aren't even big. One of the things we must remember is we've been called to be family. We've been called to be partners. 
We've been called to be a part of the body through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that it is the work of God that brings us together. So the message of Paul's ministry was that Jew and Gentile and all believers are united. Thirdly, I want us to see God's wisdom in the ministry of Paul. Look with me, if you will, at verse 8 and following. It says, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. I'll just tell you, I have struggled saying that word this morning, and so I'm going to try not to say it again, but y'all see it, y'all read it, you know it, you know what, what I'm talking about. It is hard to measure the riches of Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying it is, it is hard to measure all that we have been gifted and granted in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's wisdom in the ministry of Paul is that it was not Paul's idea to do this. It was God who had called Paul into the ministry. It was God who met him there on that road. It was God that met Paul and his ignorance and revealed who Jesus was. It was God who said, Paul, or Saul, no longer are you Saul, you are now Paul. It was God who called Paul into the ministry. It was God who sent Paul out to the Gentiles. It was God who called Paul to plant churches. It was God who called Paul to write much of the New Testament, writing back to those churches and those individuals the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not his doing, but it was God's work. Look at verse 7. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints. By the way, that's a really good place for us to be. When Paul said, I'm the least of all the saints, I don't deserve any of this. The problem with so many in the church is we've started to believe we deserve it. We've started to believe that we're worth the, the, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've started to think that somehow we've earned it. And Paul, perhaps the greatest missionary church planter ever, said, I am the least of all the saints. If he's the least, I'm less than that. And we need to have that attitude. It wasn't on Paul's doing. Paul didn't call himself to this. Paul would have never done this. But God showed up in Paul's life and said, this is the truth. I am God, and I want to use you. Far too many of us think we're not the least of all the saints. We think we may be at the top of all the saints. You remember the disciples loved to talk about that, didn't they? The disciples liked to talk about who was going to be first in the kingdom and who was going to sit closest to Jesus we can have either one of those attitudes. We can have one where we think we deserve to sit at the right hand of the Lord Jesus or we deserve to fall on our face to the very back row of heaven. Paul says, I don't deserve any of it. But in God's grace, I'm going to fall down on my face at the back row of heaven. What is our attitude? Are we fighting over who's going to sit closest or do we remember that it is God who has called us God who has equipped us, and we are deserving of none of it. So we see God's wisdom in the ministry of Paul is that it was not any of Paul's doing, but it was God's doing. 
Also, it is the mystery of God revealed. I've already talked about this, but in verse 9 it says, And to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. If you want to know why God has called us together as Scott Lake Baptist Church, that's it right there. So that we might get busy telling people about what God has done through Jesus Christ. So that we might be part of revealing the mystery. It's not that the mystery hasn't been revealed, it's just that some people don't know it. I remember my testimony before I came to Christ was I didn't even know I was lost. I didn't know I was supposed to be lost. I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for anything or that somebody was looking for me. I I was just lost and did not know it. But a a friend invited me to church, and I heard the gospel, and I became uh, absolutely convinced that based on the word of God, I was lost and needed Jesus. And our neighborhood and our community are full of people just like that. And the reason God has planted us here and placed us here and called us together is not so that we will really like one another, but so that we will get busy sharing the gospel to those who need to hear it. By the way, we will really like each other if we get busy sharing the gospel. We'll love being partners together if we get serious about the gospel. God's wisdom And the ministry of Paul also shows that we keep our eyes on the eternal works of God, not our temporary circumstances. Look with me, if you will, at verses 11, 12, and 13. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then, I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. I want to read what I said again. We keep our eyes on the eternal works of God, not on our temporary circumstances. I want to acknowledge that in a church this size, There are some really difficult temporary circumstances. Some of you are walking through hardship. Some of you are walking through loss. Some of you are walking through sickness. Some of you are walking through pain and suffering and grief. And I do not want to minimize that. I am not just running past that and saying no big deal. That is not what I'm saying. It is big and it is a big deal and I understand it. But what Paul reminds us as of as he is writing from prison. I, I think I've only been to prison, a, I, I must have only been to prison a couple times. As a pastor, I have only been to a jail a couple times. As a pastor, mi- visiting, ministering, now I'm all thrown off. Only having visited jail and prison. It didn't take me but about five seconds to know I never wanted to be there. It only took me about five seconds to know that if I was there, I probably would not be writing a letter about the gospel saying, don't you worry about me being in prison. I'm fine. I'd probably be writing something about, y'all need to get together and come get me out. And yet Paul says, I don't even want you to be discouraged about the fact that I'm in prison. I don't even want you to worry about it. Like, God has this, 
and it's okay, and God has called me, and he's called me to serve churches, and he's called me to serve Gentiles, and he's apparently called me to be in prison, and so I'm going to be here, and while I'm in prison, I'm sharing the gospel with every guard that comes near me, I'm writing letters to every church that I know of, and God's got this, and I'm just going to keep focusing on the gospel. And so I want to say again to us, As tempting as it is for us to take our eyes off the gospel and put them on our temporary circumstances, God is doing more in our lives than what our temporary circumstances tell us. Our our temporary circumstances may tell us our time is coming to an end. Our temporary circumstances may tell us there is very little hope. Our temporary circumstances may tell us that there's going to be a lot of pain and suffering. But our eternal perspective in the gospel is Jesus has won the victory. We have an eternal hope. We have a hope and glory. And pain and suffering is just temporary. And so we focus on the gospel. We're united in the gospel. We live and breathe the gospel because it makes all the difference. If Paul can say with a thorn in his flesh in prison, don't you all be discouraged over my afflictions. God's got this. God, would you help us? God, would you help your people here at Scott Lake to stay focused on the gospel? Not that our temporary circumstances aren't real. Not that they're not painful. Not that we would trade them if we could. But God, it's just a temporary circumstance. What you have done in our lives... What verse 6 tells us is the truth, is the eternal truth, not a temporary truth. We are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promises of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Would you pray with me? God, I am thankful that when we don't have this, when we don't have it together, when we don't have the answers, when we're not sure what to do, you are not confused one bit. You are not thrown off and not dismayed. God, wherever we are, if we are yours, we are yours. And you are leading us and loving us and using us for your sake and for the gospel's sake. God, you've called us together. You've called us to be here and to be a part of this church family. Not so that we'll be comfortable. Not so that we'll have everything our way but so that we might come together as a local display of the body of Christ to proclaim the gospel to those who do not know it. We are co-heirs in Jesus. We are members of the same body in Jesus. We are partners in the gospel in Christ Jesus. 
God, in the good days, would you help us to remember that? In the difficult days, would you help us to cling to that? Lord, would you use us as you see fit? Lord, as we go into the invitation time, maybe there are those who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Maybe today, maybe today they've heard the gospel and they want to make a decision. I pray that they would. Maybe there are those who are going through the hardships of life this morning and and they've just been barely holding on, but maybe today in your word they were encouraged that you've got this and that you've got them and that you're going to be with them and take care of them every step of the way. I pray that they would take this time just to stop and thank you for who you are, how you're working. Lord, I pray that each of us who are believers here and are a part of Scott Lake would contemplate your work in our lives Not just your work in my life, but your work in our lives, how you've called us together, how you've called us to be partners in the gospel, how you've made us a part of the same body and made us a part of the same family. Lord, would you use us, us, Scott Lake Baptist Church, as you see fit. We give this invitation time now to you and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know where you're at. Maybe the Lord's laid a decision on your heart. Now is the time to respond in obedience to him. We're going to stand and sing our hymn of decision. Would you stand with us, please? So good to be together this morning, Uh, so good to be called together, to be a part here and worship together. Uh, I just pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you and watch over you. I'm going to ask Ray to come, close our service out in prayer, pray for our offering. Um, He's a part of our pastor search committee, so would you pray for you and the rest of the team with you, please, sir, as you close us out? Yes, sir. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you for allowing us to be here, Lord, amongst fellow members, Lord, here in your house this Sunday morning, Lord. Thank you for bringing us here safely. We pray you return us safely, dear Heavenly Father. You know all about our needs, Lord. We lift them up to you, Lord, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the the financial, dear Heavenly Father, Lord. Just pray that your will be done in all these matters. We lift up the pastor search committee, Lord, and uh, continue to give them wisdom, Lord. Uh, to seek out the person that you have chosen to lead this church well into the future. We also lift up the uh, tithes and offerings this morning, Lord. We pray that you multiply them and uh, use them to further your kingdom locally and abroad. We ask you all these things, Lord, in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.